Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. The title of this sermon is Power in the Present. Power in the Present, meaning power in the present moment, now. The power of God's witness through the Holy Spirit's conviction compels a present response to the testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that power promised in the Holy Spirit was power for Jesus' followers to be his witnesses. In Acts, it's in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The power of God is essential for the people of God to be witnesses for Jesus, And the power of God is the presence of God and the working of God by His indwelling Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, people will not be convinced of a need for Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit is a work of conviction. The Holy Spirit exposes or brings to light the wickedness of sin, the need we all have for righteousness, And the reality of the coming judgment in which we all will give an account of ourselves to God. And when the conviction of the Holy Spirit is present, the power of the Spirit is present offering the gift of faith in that moment. But faith has an enemy called procrastination. Procrastination is the action of putting off for later what may be accomplished now, in the present. Procrastination can be good or bad, but within the context of faith, procrastination is an enemy of faith. It's a sin of rejection. The most sinful procrastination of all is to put off the gift of faith that God is offering now. To neglect the power of God's witness through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, compelling faith in Jesus Christ now. It is equally sinful for we who are in Christ to procrastinate and delay when God gives us faith to obey what he wants us to do. How often it is that people procrastinate And put off for later the faith that is available in the present. Acts chapter 24 reveals to us a governor at Caesarea named Felix. And Felix was a procrastinator. When faith in Jesus Christ was spoken to him, the Holy Spirit was present as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit was evident in that Felix was alarmed, meaning he was extremely afraid. 
it raises for us a question. Did Felix receive the faith that was available to him in that moment? Faith to receive Jesus as his righteousness? Faith to receive the fruit of God's Holy Spirit? The fruit of self-control? Faith to be saved from the judgment that was coming? No. For Acts chapter 24 verse 25 tells us that Felix in his fear said to Paul, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon for you. Go away for now. When I find time, I'll summon you. Go away for now. I'll get around to it later. Felix delays faith in Christ Jesus, and in his delay, Felix rejects the faith available to him in that moment. He rejects the grace of God. Three times, Felix is recorded as performing some kind of procrastinating action. When the Roman soldiers first arrived at Caesarea with Paul and presented him before Felix, the governor, they also presented the letter from Lysias, the tribune, who had rescued Paul from the Jews who had tried to kill him in Jerusalem. When Felix read the letter and learned that Paul was from Cilicia, Acts chapter 23, verse 35 said, says, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded Paul to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Now this was the first procrastination of Felix, but it's a good one for Paul. Felix will hear Paul's case, but he will only do it when the accusers arrive to make their case. And so look with me now at the beginning of chapter 24, chapter 24, verse 1. It says, after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman one Tertullus, they lay before the governor their case against Paul. Now this Ananias was the high priest that commanded just days earlier that Paul be struck on the mouth. Ananias was the one Paul called a whitewashed wall, a hypocrite, because he was judging Paul without concern for righteousness. He was a high priest by title only, for he knew not the Messiah of God, Jesus the Christ. Ananias came to Caesarea with some elders and a spokesman named Tertullus. And as a spokesman, Tertullus is an attorney. He's an advocate. He's a speaker in the court. He knew what to say and how to say it in proper form. So look with me now at verses 2 through 4. When he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse Paul, saying, Since through you, meaning Felix, we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. Now these are customary pleasantries for addressing the judge and making a legal case, but notice the word in verse, in verse 2, accuse, accuse. While it's true that Tertullus is bringing charges against Paul, it's worth noting that this is the same word 
used to describe our enemy in Revelation 12.10 as an accuser, one who accuses the brothers day and night before God. The accusations about to be set forth against Paul spring from a demonic source, the work of the adversary, the work of the accuser. Look at verses 5 and 6. For we have found this man, meaning Paul, a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. Now this first charge made against Paul is against Paul's character. Right out of the gate, this man is a plague. He's a public menace. He's a troublemaker. He's a pest. And because of this character, they charge that he stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, meaning the Roman Empire. That word riot describes rebellion. And this is meant to remind us as hearers of the injustice that happened to Jesus when Jesus, was, who was innocent, was led away to be crucified and a man named Barabbas was freed, who had been in prison because of this same charge, riots, rebellion, and for Barabbas, out of that murder. Tertullus charges that Paul is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, meaning Paul is a leader of those who follow this Jesus of Nazareth. Paul is a leader of the Christians, and he tried to profane the temple before they seized him. In other words, they charged Paul had tried to make the temple unclean. They thought he tried to bring in Trophimus, the Ephesians, a Gentile, into the temple, according to Acts 21, verse 28. So Paul is a rebel. He stirs up riots. He tried to profane the temple, and so he's a pest. He must be dealt with. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, by examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. In other words, they're not offering evidence. Felix, just examine him. You'll see all this is true. And verse 9 says, the Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. You may make a note about that word charge there in verse 9. That word charge is the word for attack. And that's what they're doing against Paul. It's not just a charge. They're attacking him. It's not a legitimate charge grounded in the truth, but it's an attack full of false accusations, full of lies. But Paul is ready to mount a defense before Felix. Look at verse 10. When the governor had nodded to him, meaning Paul, to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation... I cheerfully make my defense. And Paul begins by first addressing and dismissing the charges against him. In verse 11, he says, You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. In other words, there hasn't been enough time for Paul to be in Jerusalem causing such riots and revolts and be considered a plague as he's being accused. It's not been more than 12 days. Look at verses 12 and 13. Paul goes on. They did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. 
Note that Paul does not have an advocate like Tertullus, but Paul is making his defense for himself. And this is why, after pointing out that the accusations against him don't make sense, he then makes a defense of his faith. In verse 14, he says, but this I confess to you. This is what Paul wants to say. These are the matters that he can agree on with his accusers. Verses 14 through 16. He says, This I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. This way, which they call a sect or a division, Paul confesses is not something different than what the Jews believe, but it is the continuation and fulfillment of what they believe, what was fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. What the Jews believe is incomplete. It doesn't go far enough. Paul is not part of something different. Paul is part of something that is the same. The same history, the same fathers, the same law, the same prophets, the same hope, in the same God, believing in the same resurrection. And after quickly putting aside the areas of difference, Paul moves to areas of common ground to show that he's not rebelling against their religion, But he is living in the completion of their religion through the one who said, I am the way. Through Jesus who said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Paul acknowledges before Felix that his hope is in this God. That God will resurrect both the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. And subtly Paul hints that whatever unrighteousness may occur to him, there is a higher authority and a higher power, a higher court where there is true righteousness and true justice in God. Paul acknowledges That a clear conscience toward both God and man is something worth taking great efforts for, to be blameless. And these seeds are being planted or even watered in Felix as he's hearing this confession. For Felix himself is a man acquainted with unrighteousness. Felix was known to do what was politically convenient for Felix. He looked for bribes and he was willing to accept them. He was married to Drusilla, who was his third wife, because he had issues with self-control. So Paul goes on in the remainder of his defense to recount the accurate version of events that he's being charged with. Look at me at verse 17. Paul says, now after several years I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation. 
should they have anything against me? Verse 20 says, or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. And so at hearing Paul's defense, Felix procrastinates a second time. Look at verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. And so he defers a decision until Lysias the tribune comes to Caesarea. But in the meantime, verse 23 tells us, that Felix gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. It appears that Felix is sympathetic to Paul's defense. No crime has been proven, and he needs more information to discern the truth. What's even more interesting is that Felix, Felix has an accurate understanding of the way. How he does, we're not told. But his wife, Drusilla, was the daughter of Herod Agrippa I, and she was Jewish. It may be that she had come to understand more about this group, this sect of the Nazarenes, this way. And as the scriptures trace Paul's journey to Jerusalem, they echo very closely with Jesus' time in Jerusalem before his crucifixion. From the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus said, not my will, but Thine be done. And Paul's resolve to do the same as he's going to Jerusalem. May the will of the Lord be done. To the arrests, to the binding, to going before the council, the false accusations, the mock trials. Paul experience, his experiences serve as a mirror for us of what Jesus also experienced. And even with Felix's accurate understanding of the way, even with him bringing his wife Drusilla with him later, these are meant to remind us of Pilate and Pilate's wife. If you remember, Pilate in his judgment of Jesus knew that the Jews delivered Jesus up to be crucified out of envy. He knew this. And Pilate's wife had sent word to Pilate not to have anything to do with Jesus because Jesus was a righteous man and she had suffered much on account of him in a dream. Even here, Felix has an opportunity to enact justice by the knowledge he has come into. And instead of acting, he defers. He procrastinates. He puts off his decision to later. And much like Pilate who washed his hands of the matter with Jesus, Felix pushes it out to later. Look with me at verses 24 and following. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon for you. And this is Felix's third procrastination, and it is a damning one. 
For he's not putting off a hearing this time. He's not putting off judgment. But he's putting off matters of righteousness and self-control and coming judgment and faith in Christ Jesus. And this is where the Holy Spirit is at work convicting Felix. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And these are the matters that Paul reasoned with Felix about. And this is instructive for us. As we testify of faith in Christ, we are empowered when we speak of sin and of righteousness and judgment because these are the matters about which the Spirit brings conviction. God gives us our message to call people to repentance from sin, to put on the righteousness of Christ and to find salvation in the coming day of judgment. And we are to speak these things because when we do, the Spirit confirms them and carries them from the ears all the way to the heart and offers faith to be received. But Felix, obviously under conviction, because he is alarmed, he's extremely frightened, he sends Paul away for when he has time, when he gets an opportunity. No one is guaranteed an opportunity. No one is guaranteed time. There is no time that we have that God has not given. And if we reject the time that God has given, if we procrastinate with matters of faith, in time God will harden our hearts. Paul wrote to the Corinthians with these words in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. He says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he, being God, says, in a favorable time I listened to you. And in a day of salvation I have helped you. Based on that text, Paul writes, Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, in the present. Church, the same is true of our salvation, but also of our obedience. We are called with this same urgency to be witnesses for Jesus. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15, that in our hearts, we might honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope, for the hope that is in you. Is Christ the Lord honored in our hearts as holy? Are we prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in us when we're asked? The scriptures say in verse 26 of Acts 24, at the same time, at the same time that these things were happening, Paul was reasoning with Felix. Felix hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. Felix is not a genuine seeker of the truth, it seems. Felix is only looking for a bribe. At the same time he hears about faith in Jesus with fear, he hopes for money from Paul. He hopes for this bribe as if justice can be bought. But Paul stays the course. Paul continues to use his opportunities to proclaim Jesus before rulers, 
and later kings. And Acts chapter 24 concludes in this way in verse 27. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. All of chapter 24 represents two years' time. Felix procrastinated during the time in which God graciously gave him two years to hear about Jesus. After procrastinating enough, he procrastinated for the last time and was called away from his post and replaced with no record of his ever coming to faith in Christ. Acts chapter 24 reveals Paul giving this account of his manner of life before God as he defends himself against false accusations before Festus. But Paul's defense is a reminder to all of us that we must give an account, each one of us, of our lives before God. There is a coming judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this, comes judgment. Many people deal with the fear of judgment by running away from God. Many run from God's offer of salvation in Christ who died for sin on the cross once for all, was buried and raised in power. Why? Because of what is required to follow Jesus. Total surrender. Rebirth. Forsaking sin, repentance. To procrastinate and delay is to ultimately harden the heart against God. In the same way, many Christians run away from God's commands in disobedience. As we think about the future of local churches, we all want congregations to grow and to thrive. But the reality is, that times are not getting better. Despite what people want to believe, love for one another is not increasing in the world. The future growth of Christ's church will depend as it always has on Christians mounting an offensive on the gates of hell, on Christians being obedient to Jesus' commands to make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching, by Christians counting everything as a loss in order to gain Christ. The power of God's witness through the Holy Spirit's conviction compels a present response to the testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Faith has an enemy. And that enemy is procrastination. And that faith is available right now to receive Jesus, to obey his commands and his leading. Will you receive this faith? Or will you procrastinate? I pray that God would give us all faith in this present moment. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish His purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of His Word. 
If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.